All right, it's 2019. We're supposed to talk about resolutions, but we're not going to do that. There's no reason to talk about resolutions. I told you I follow a pastor on a podcast. He's not making resolutions this year. His argument sounded great to me. You know, while the thought of a resolution is a good thing, we're going to work harder, we're going to do more, we're going to do better this year. Mostly what you get from a New, year, New Year's resolution is guilt because you don't. All of us tend to make resolutions about weight and health and all that kind of stuff. I took a little Facebook poll this last week that said, how long will your resolution last? Six months, three months, one month until dessert. Guess which one I touched. Yes, I've seen the Nutrisystem commercials. My name is Essex, and I lost 43 pounds on Nutrisystem. Yes, my name is Randy. I lost 800 pounds on a myriad number of diets, and I've gained 805 pounds on the fried pork chop diet. I have a new goal. As far as goals for weight loss is concerned, if when I pass away, if they can close the lid without sitting on it, I think I will have done fine. We're not going to talk about resolutions. Resolutions have an idea behind them that we can make ourselves better. And we keep doing the resolutions, we have the self-help books. All of these things are out there with the idea that we can make ourselves into better people, that we can continue to make resolutions and we continue to make ourselves a little bit better. We'll fix this problem and then we'll go to the next problem. We'll fix that problem, then we'll go to the next problem. But we find out over time that there continues to be another problem. And there's a reason for that. Remember from our study of Genesis, God said when the Lord saw that the human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. Nothing but evil all the time. We have this idea, it's a, it's a philosophy that's out now that's just flat wrong that says that children are born at the blank slate and you have to teach them racism and you have to teach them hatred and you have to teach them sexism and all the isms, you have to teach them those things. And that's not correct. We are born with every inclination of our heart being evil all the time. So we know before we begin any program, regardless of how good-hearted, well-intentioned it is, it'll have moderate success for a season maybe, but they always remind us that no matter how hard we work, no matter how hard we work, there's always something else to be fixed. And so we come to church and we ask the question, if there's always something there to be fixed, then what is the answer to that? And of course, we're in church and we know what the answer is in church. We say that the answer is Jesus. And we know that that's right, but this is going to hit some of you wrong and that's okay. But I think most people will agree with me. We say the answer is Jesus. There is something that's not totally satisfying about that. Randy, you're saying that church, God's going to strike you down. No, he's not. He knows what we think. That we say that Jesus is the answer, but, but then we look around ourselves. You know, the church has been in the Jesus business ever since there was a Jesus. And you look around the world, what have we done? And we look at the universal church, and we say in the universal church, are we better now than we were X number of years ago, and sometimes we have to look around and go, no, look at what's going on. 
So we say Jesus is the answer, but when we say that, if we are honest, we feel like something is missing, and something is missing. And we're going to talk about what that something is this morning. And it's a little bit of a challenge to us, but it's something that we need to understand and something we've got to embrace. We're going to start a new study. We're going to start in the book of Philippians this morning. So go ahead and open your Bible to Philippians. It's in the New Testament. Comes somewhere after those Corinthian things. And uh, the book of Philippians is uh, uh, written by the Apostle Paul. It's a very joyful letter. It is very, very upbeat. It's very positive. We're going to be in it for about 12 weeks. If you're one of those people that say, I hate it when they do week after week, just pretend every week it's a new sermon. It'll work out. I promise you. We're going to go through the book of Philippians end to end, every little bit of it. It's a good book. And here's what it says, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, until the midnight cry that Mitch played about. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. It's a joyful book. It's a happy book. It's seriously upbeat. Its message and its tone are very, very encouraging. A lot of people have their life verse comes from the book of Philippians, and y'all know what that verse is. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. That's carried you through many storms, some of you. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's a very encouraging word. Philippians was written as a thank you note, but it's a thank you note on steroids. Paul is in prison. He is in Rome. The church at Philippi finds out about it. They take up a collection or some sort of gift that they bring to him. They send a guy by the name of Epaphroditus. When you love to be a first grade teacher and have to teach the child how to spell Epaphroditus, they send this guy named Epaphroditus to deliver the gift to Paul in prison, and Paul gets the gift, and he is thrilled to death to receive it. He loves that church, but he loves the church at Philippi for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons he loves it is because he started the church. It's his church. He was the one that got it going, and the neat thing about this is, is the Bible tells us we get to see how the church started. So if you'll turn over your Bible to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, Page turns. Acts chapter 16. When you get home today and, you, and you're sitting in your chair, uh, read the whole of Acts chapter 16, but we're going to read 11 through 15 right now. This is how the church got started. Y'all pay attention because we're going to talk about it again later too. It says, from Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace and the next day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city in the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. On the Sabbath day, 
We went outside to the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying after she and her household were baptized. She urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Paul and Silas have the same problem, had the same problem that a lot of us have. Happens to us all the time. You want to do something and you can't make it happen. You know, I've, I've got Anna and Ben both, my son, my oldest uh, daughter, my daughter and my oldest son, both live, one of them lives in Michigan, one of them lives in Illinois. I keep saying it would be a wonderful time to go to the Hudson Bay up in Canada to see the polar bears migrate. Yeah, I know that's weird, but I want to do that one day. I want to go to Hudson Bay. You can only fly in on this little bitty plane or you take a two-day train ride through Canada. It'd be a whole lot easier to go up to their place day a day than go to Canada to do all this stuff. And it's just not happening. And Ben's only got another couple of years up there. Maybe Anna will probably be up there for a while. Maybe we can make Anna, but it's just not happening. And y'all may have the same kind of thing. You've always wanted to do Disney World, but you never made it to Disney World. You always go to the Grand Canyon, but for some reason, something always comes up. Paul and Silas wanted to go to Asia. They wanted to go east. They wanted to go Asia. And no matter how hard they tried, they couldn't get there. So they decided, well, if we can't go east, we'll go north. We'll go to a place by the name of Bithynia or a region by the name of Bithynia. And they tried to do that, and they eventually understood that the reason they couldn't make that happen, Luke records it and says the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. God didn't want them to go there. So one night, Paul goes to bed. He has a dream. It's a vision. And in that vision, there's a Macedonian man who says, pleading with them, come over to Macedonia and help us out. So don't have to hit Paul in the face with a two-by-four more than once. He decides that's a sign from God. We better go to Macedonia. We'll go over to Macedonia. He ends up in the city of Philippi. On the Sabbath day, Paul and Silas went to where people were. There were women down by the river. They were doing whatever they're doing. I don't know if they were praying. I don't know if they're washing clothes, gathering water. I don't know what they were doing, but there were women there. And so Paul and Silas went down there to talk to them. While they were there, there was a lady by the name of Lydia. She was a wealthy lady because she sold purple. Royalty wore purple. So she sells to rich people. So she's making some cash. Lydia's down there and they talk to her. She's never heard the gospel. And when she hears the gospel, something happens. Now, what did Paul and Silas say to her? <clears throat> Scripture doesn't tell us. We don't read it in Philippians. We don't read it in uh, Acts. But if we go to 1 Corinthians, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it. If you go to 1 Corinthians, you find out what Paul's message is all the time. His message never changed. Paul says this. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Listen to what he didn't preach. He didn't go to them and he didn't preach that Jesus will help you make decisions. He didn't go and preach that Jesus will help you through hard times. 
He didn't go and preach that Jesus will fix your marriage. He didn't go preach that Jesus will help you with your career or help you get off of drugs or help you get off of alcohol or he'll help you beat your porn addiction. He didn't preach that he'll help you lose weight. He didn't open up with what's a great line. He could have opened up and said, I know a man who will help you do all things because he will give you strength. He didn't open up with any of all that stuff. He started out with this. Lydia, you are a sinner. Jesus died for your sins. That's where he started. And when he said that, something happened. We know what Lydia did. We know what happened. Now here, here is where, here's where what we're missing is what we're missing. Okay? I'm going to ask you to do something that I don't normally do because I hate this. When I am sitting on that side of the pulpit and people ask me to do this, I rarely participate. But I'm going to ask you to do it anyway because I want you to hear these words come out of your mouth. I want you to hear you saying these words, okay? Repeat after me. You ready? The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. Now just the first part, one more time. The Lord opened her heart. That's what's missing. That's what's missing when we say that Jesus is the answer. Because see, Paul and Silas could have preached Jesus crucified till the cows came home. And if the Lord had not opened her heart, all she would have gotten was smart. She could have passed a test. She would know like I know. I've studied, I've studied just a tiny little bit of Hindu. I've studied just a tiny little bit of, uh, of Baha'i. I've studied a tiny little bit about Mormonism, a tiny little bit about Jehovah's Witnesses. I know a little bit about Catholics. Not that they're all in there together, but you know what I'm saying. I've, uh, who are the guys that we used to have in the airports? Uh, Hare Krishnas. I've studied a little bit about Hare Krishnas. I've studied a little bit all about those guys. Lord never opened my heart when I heard those things. All I got was smart, and all I got was a little bit smart because I knew facts. I learned facts, and I knew facts, but the Lord opened her heart. Listen, here's the thing that scares us to death that we don't think this way. Something supernatural happened. Do you understand? Something supernatural happened. The Lord opened her heart. And when the Lord opened her heart, what happened? After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. She persuaded them that she was a believer in the Lord. She and her house, something supernatural happened that when she heard Jesus preach, Jesus crucified for your sins, and God opened her heart, when she repeated that to her family, their heart was open too, and Paul and Silas ended up baptizing everybody in the family. What we have missing when we say that Jesus is the answer is we don't expect supernatural things to happen. Yes, we do. No, we don't. No, we don't. We are Westerners. Our mind doesn't think that way. We think in terms of logic and arguments. And what I should be able to do is to put a very good argument out in front of you and and explain 
how everything works, and this is how it goes, and if you believe this, then this will happen. If you believe this, then this will happen. And we lay the argument out front, and you go, okay, well, you know, that's right. I like what you're saying. I think it's right. Okay, I believe. That's the way we think it's supposed to work. And what the Scripture is telling us is that Jesus is foolishness. He don't work that way. He doesn't work that way. The Almighty God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for the sins of the world. It makes no sense. There are no other religions on the face of the earth that had a God who sent a son to die on a cross for anybody's sins. What they expected was you had to do something. This Jesus expects no payment from you. Do you understand that? He expects no resolutions to do better. He expects no resolutions for you to do better. Let me tell you the kind of fun stuff I read. I'm reading a book on the Nashville Statement from the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And it's, it's, it's cool. It talks about well, it talks about how we believe about men and women. It's pretty cool. And in the, after the Nashville Statement's over, there's this, uh, not really a chapter, it's like a page and a half, written by this woman <clears throat> who talks about her life and why she signed on with a Nashville Statement. And see, this woman's very well known now. I wish I could remember her name because some of you know who I'm talking about. But when this woman, she was happy, life was good, she had friends, Successful in her career. Everything was good. But somebody preached Jesus crucified to her. And when they preached Jesus crucified, on that time, the Holy Spirit, the Almighty God, worked in her heart, opened her heart, and she was saved. Now here's the kicker. She was a lesbian. And she didn't change her lifestyle. She had a partner that she had lived with forever. They were going to live the rest of their lives together. She had a successful career. Everything was fine. She just became a Christian. And for five years, her life did not change at all. But the more she read the Word, the more the Holy Spirit worked in her heart until one day she realized that God created me for something different. He created me for something better, something more. He created me different than what I'm living. And with a lot of heartache and with a lot of tears and with a lot of pain, she left that lifestyle. She now has a husband. She now has two children. Nobody told her you have to change. Nobody came to her and said, straighten up your life and then you can become a Christian. She became a Christian and then nothing changed in her life until the Holy Spirit did it. It is a supernatural work that occurred inside of her. It's a supernatural work that happens to all of us. Expecting only that people will believe in him and trust in him is what he asks. And that's all. You don't have to change. You will. But you'll change at his behest because he will lead you there and he will take you. No God ever did that before except for Jehovah God. 
Paul and Silas preached Jesus crucified and the Lord opened Lydia's heart. She trusted Jesus. She told everybody in her household. Paul and Silas baptized every last one of them. And from there, their little church added new souls by telling the same story over and 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 over again. They told the same story. They told the same story. And here Paul is in, in jail, sitting in a Roman jail, and he puts pen to paper, and he says, every time I think of you guys, I thank God for you. Every time I think of you, and I think about you all the time, my heart is filled with joy. Even in this prison, I'm elated because of you. I know you guys. I know what you do. You preach Jesus crucified just like I do. Philippians 1 verse 5 says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That word partnership that's translated partnership, we all know that word. Not, that's incorrect. Many of us know that word, that we've been in church. You've seen churches as you've driven down the road that had that name, that Greek name, is the name of their fellowship. And the name that they use, that Greek word, is koinonia. Y'all heard that before? Some of you have. Koinonia. We always translate it fellowship. It's translated here partnership. What it's talking about is being of one essence, of being of one mind, of being of one heart. We have this fellowship. Guys, this is what makes us who we are. This is what makes us who we are. The cross of Christ makes us who we are. Fellowship is a common mission, a common heart, a common purpose, a common commitment. A church, somebody said this week, I read, that a church is a group, listen, a group of co-workers who spread the gospel all week and then gather on Sunday to encourage one another. What if that's what we did? What if that's what we did? Spread the gospel all week. And listen, y'all, that doesn't mean that you, I may have said this before, I'll say it again. I've said it about five times today. I'll keep saying it because that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something entirely different. That doesn't mean that every waitress that comes to your table, you witness to her. It doesn't mean that every time my wife is a nurse and comes into your room that you ask her, are you a Christian? Because she'll say, yeah, and I'm married to a preacher. Let's get the business. You don't have to do that. What this is talking about, what we're talking about today is that one person, that one person, that one person that's on your mind or on your heart or you're in that situation where you know and you've been there because I've been there. You felt a leading to go say something to somebody and sometimes you don't do it and you walk away and you feel horrible because you know you should have walked over and put your arm around that person. That's the Holy Spirit that's doing it. And then we come back to church and we tell each other. In our Sunday school classes, in our small groups, we tell each other. Can you imagine the conversations that we have when we do that? You know what it looks like? We've got perfect examples in front of us. All you old folks that have been here a long, long time and you went to West Virginia to the mission trips. What did you talk about when you came home? You went up to the coal mining towns in West Virginia and you held vacation Bible schools. I've heard the stories. I can imagine the excitement when you came home and the things that you talked about. I went with the youth to Cumberland, Cumberland, Kentucky. I went to, with the youth to Cumberland, Kentucky to a fuge camp, ex-fuge, in-fuge, some fuge. 
And we went to the camp up there, and we met Michaela, and we met Hosanna. I still have a picture of them on my computer. We talked about when we came home, Michaela and, and Hosanna and those kids and the things that happened there. We talked about those things. We encouraged one another with it. When our, our crew went up to Canada this year, they came home, and they told all of us about all the things that happened in Canada. That's church. That's church, and here's something that's going to happen. We are currently beginning a partnership. We'll bring it out in front of everybody at some point. Right now, we're just kind of, we're kind of dating a little bit. The Branch Church in Milledgeville. It's a bunch of guys that have come down to start a, uh, to start a church for college students over in Milledgeville. And we've learned about them, and we've met with them a couple of times, and eaten with them a couple of times, and we're doing some stuff with them. D now this year, Kyle, do we know his last name? Kyle Worthy, thank you very much. Kyle Worthy is coming to D now, him and some of his guys, to lead our D now with our students. I can't wait to see what happens. Kyle is so on fire for the Lord, you couldn't put him out with a fire extinguisher. The man is wild for Jesus. I can't wait to see what's going to happen. And you know what's going to happen because y'all have seen it before. We'll have our kids come in from D-Now. They're all wearing their little same T-shirts and all the kind of stuff that they do. And the things they talk about will encourage one another. That's the church. That's the church. You're not coming here to get a fill up. You're coming here to tell folks what God's done for you all week long. Yeah, the world beats us down, but you know what? <laughs> Greater is he that's in me. Don't I remember all that stuff? This is what the church is. A group of coworkers who spread the gospel all week long and then gather on Sunday to encourage one another. The Lord, the Lord isn't through supernaturally opening hearts yet. Verse, uh, verse 6 says, I'm sure of this. That he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul sits in prison with a smile on his face knowing that even as he sits there in chains, the church at Philippi is telling people, is preaching to people, is preaching Christ crucified, the supernatural things are happening, and they always will. They always will. Do we believe that? Do we? Do we believe that church that he does supernatural stuff? Have you seen it? Do you want to see it more? See, I want to see it more. I want to see it. I want to see that day. I've told y'all, I want the day that 30 people are saved. I want to be in that service. I want to be baptizing people so that when I get through, somebody else I have to preach because I'm too tired. That's what I want to see. I want to see the Holy Spirit work like that. He will complete the good work in us until Jesus' faithful children are either, either called home or Jesus meets us in the air. Now, let me tell you a good story. Sort of a strange coincidence. Remember how, you remember how the uh, Philippian church was started? Paul, one woman by the river. Let me tell you a story. In the late 1800s, two God-fearing ladies were heartsick. They wanted to go to a God-fearing, Bible-believing church. And for whatever reason, all the churches around them didn't fit the bill for them. So they prayed. 
They invited a preacher to come down and to preach. And the preacher came and preached. And then one day, on Wednesday, August the 2nd, 1905, these two women, along with 18 other folks, constituted the Gray Baptist Church. 20 people. Let me help you. Let me help you. Logan, you're number one. Say it out loud. You're five, Mary. <laughs> Byron's number 20. Rest of you go home. Church is big enough, right? We had all the people that joined. We had 20 people that started with. From, from those 20 people, this came into being. And, and an hour ago, there was this many people there too. How about that? From 20 people. How did that happen? How did that happen? Well, I got a feeling that this letter that E.W. Sammons, he was the pastor the ladies invited to preach. I have a feeling that, that the key is in his letter. This is what he said. He wrote it to Annie Stewart. There were two ladies, Annie Stewart and Kate somebody, and I forget Kate's last name, but he says, dear friend, Kate Morgan, dear friend, it is now nearly 14 years since I received the joint request from Miss Kate Morgan and yourself to make a preaching appointment at Gray. That was the initial movement that is now about to be realized in the beautiful church edifice nearing completion. One, without seeing her hopes realized that her prayers were answered, has gone up to the great white throne where no doubt it was said of her, she hath done what she could and has received the affidavit, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of thy Lord and Master. To her it was not given, but to you and me it has been given to see these hopes realized and those prayers answered. But then he says this, may God bless you more abundantly than you have hoped or prayed and no one thing will give me so much joy as to see your own dear father become a member of that church. Invite your one, your own dear father. It is not impossible. He must have been a hard case. It is not impossible. God is gracious. Let us pray that we may see that before we die. Oh, it would be more joy than the realization of all of our hopes and building the church. That is what the church must stand for, the saving of souls. That's what E.W. Salmon said about the Gray Baptist Church, that what the church must stand for is the saving of souls. That is our mission. That's what we stand for. Families cannot be restored. Husbands and wives cannot be reconciled. Addicts cannot be freed. Immoral people cannot become moral. No one can be what the, would live with the freedom that they were called to live unless we are convinced of the message that Christ was that Christ was crucified for the sins of the world and that the Holy Spirit will do a supernatural work. We have to hunger and crave for this. Like Annie Stewart did for her daddy, that we cry out for God passionately 
to supernaturally open their hearts. You can't save anyone. But you've got the message that the Holy Spirit can use to change their hearts. And we have to anticipate, look for, and ache for supernatural things to occur. Let me share something with you. We can run a club without the supernatural. Part of my job in, in my old world was event planning. I can put on some events. We can go out and we have a good time and go places and do things and we can shout and have a good time and it will be wonderful and glorious and nothing wrong with having a good time. But nothing supernatural happens in that unless we go with the premise that Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins. Brothers and sisters, before Christ, every inclination of our heart was evil. Even those who have never said a cuss word, never had a drink, never had a dirty thought. I was talking to my mom the other day, and mom said, she, I forget even how it come up, but she said, you know, I've never had a taste of alcohol in my entire life. And I thought, well, I broke that record for you, mom. Never thought a dirty thought. Maybe that's you. But even if all those things are true of you, all of our hearts are still filled with darkness and rebellion. We still want our own way. Even in the face of God, we were that way. But see, one day, somebody, and you might remember who, told you of a Savior. The day that my heart got opened, it was Beth Neal that said it. I imagine numbers of people had told me that Jesus died for my sins. But that day, the Lord did a supernatural work. I bet you remember somebody saying that to you. And because of that, a man named Jesus, they told you the man named Jesus came from God, born of a virgin, so he'd be called the son of God. He lived a perfect life, but jealousy filled our hearts. Anger raged within us. He was better than us. He claimed to be somebody. He claimed to be the son of God. We shouted and we shouted to get rid of him, to crucify him, to crucify him. And that's exactly what we did. Three iron spikes, one in his left hand, one in his right, one in his ankles, nailed him to a cross that was raised up to the sky that he himself said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And he's been doing it ever since. He died on that cross. He was wrapped tightly for burial. For three days, his body laid inside a tomb. But on the third day of his burial, God said, that's enough. And he reached into that tomb and he raised Jesus back to life, showing us that our greatest fear, the worst curse that we ever had, the curse of death, had been conquered. And Jesus ascended to heaven. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of the Almighty God descended on this earth where he re has remained ever since, convicting people of sin, opening people's hearts, doing supernatural things. Do you truly want to see the Holy Spirit revive his church? Do you truly want to see the Holy Spirit bring about an awakening in Jones County and in Baldwin County? in Milledgeville and in Gray and in all of middle Georgia, do you truly want to see that? Do you believe, do you believe that it can start here in this place at the Gray Baptist Church that started with 20 people? Do you believe it can start here? Are you willing to get on your knees and pray 
for Jesus to open the heart of not millions, of not thousands, of not hundreds, but to open the heart of one and you never give up. Are you willing? Let's pray. Father, you never give up. You stand at the door and you knock and you've never given up. Oh, Father, if, if you were like us, you would have wiped us out and started all over again. You'd have burned us down to the ground, never thought about us again. But Lord, you don't think that way. You look for the lost sheep. You look for the one. You look for the one that's screaming for, for fear, that's bleeding in the woods, that's lost and is scared. You look for that one. You look for the one that's tired and hungry and lonely. You look for the one whose heart is broken. You look for the one that's been walking down the wrong path, the one that does everything that everybody would shun them for if they're good people. Doesn't make sense, but that's what you do. A smoldering wick you will not put out, a bent reed you will not break. At our weakest moment, you will not kick us out. But instead, you draw us close. Remind your people of that, Father. And then burn in our heart to tell the message of Christ crucified for their sins to the person that you are drilling into our soul right now. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, it's the first Sunday of the new year. Maybe you're not a member of the First Baptist Church, and now would be a good time to join. Let's get on board. Let's go. Giddy up. All aboard. If you want to do that during the song, you can come down. You can come down after the music's over, after everybody's leaving and talk to me. It, it doesn't matter. Come on down. Maybe this morning you've got somebody on your heart already, and I imagine you do. I imagine every last one of you, when I mention there's somebody, every last one of us has a somebody, every last one of us. Well, maybe now is the time to begin your first prayer for that person. Maybe you've been praying for them for years. Maybe this will energize you because the Holy Spirit has to work in their heart. Pray for the Holy Spirit to open their eyes. And maybe this morning you're the one that needs to pray the prayer that Lydia prayed. Jesus, I trust you to be my Savior. Thank you for dying so I could be forgiven. Show me your way from now on. Maybe that's you. You don't have to give anything up. You don't have to change. You just have to hear. And you have to trust him to be the Lord. And he will change you, I guarantee you. But that's his business. He'll take you where you need to go. If you pray that prayer, I'd ask you to come forward and talk to me. Or again, wait till the service is over and come to me. Love to talk to you. We had Josie saved in the first service. She prayed that prayer. And she's a little teenage girl. You can too if you need to. Let's stand as we sing.